Hello and welcome to The North in Numbers, a podcast that gets the human stories behind the stats. I'll be your host, Annie Goke. As a data journalist, I write local news stories based on statistics for regional papers up and down the country. Each fortnight, I'll be looking at the figures that particularly affect the North and speaking to experts and those most affected to get their take on the issues facing our communities. There's been a boom in breweries across the North, part of the craft beer revolution that is sweeping the country. This week, I speak to brewers, bar owners, and beer festival organisers from all over the region to find out what's been driving the trend. We, we sort of opened up at the same sort of time as a lot of breweries in Manchester. There was a really big explosion about five, six years ago. So uh, us, Track, Squawk, Cloudwater, all opened up within the sort of space of maybe three or four months. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the idea, um, as with, say, with, with lots, of, lots of small breweries, is to bring something different, make some interesting beers, you know, not just make your same run-of-the-mill four or five industrial produced lagers that you, you see everywhere, but to make something something interesting to, you know, beer is a really wide spectrum uh, of, you know, bitter, sour, sweet, strong, weak. You can really do so much with beer. There's, you know, there is, there is a beer for every occasion and we try to cater to that. Alex Parkinson is part of Alphabet Brewing Company, or ABC, which was founded in a Manchester railway arch in 2014. They're one of many exciting independent breweries that have cropped up across the North over the last decade. Figures from the Office for National Statistics show that there are now around 350 beer brewers operating in the North, more than twice as many as there were in 2010, when there were 155 brewers counted across the region. The increase has been driven in particular by a huge rise in the number of smaller breweries, fuelled by small brewers' relief tax breaks introduced by Gordon Brown in 2002. Since then, smaller breweries have benefited from paying 50% less beer duty than large beer makers. Like ABC, many of these new brewers are striving to offer something different to established beer brands. Paul Jones is the founder of Cloudwater, a brewing company in Manchester with a focus on seasonal beers that has been in business for the last five years. We've always also focused on what we can bring that's new and innovative. It's never really struck me as something particularly useful to... um, start a company and just do what's already being done. Uh, Manchester does not necessarily need another cask bitter. So how are brewers moving away from the traditional lager and cask ale offering? Many are turning to craft beer. Relatively small batch, typically keg brewed beer made with traditional brewing methods and with an emphasis on flavour and quality. Craft beer took off in the United States in the 1970s, but it wasn't until the mid 2000s that it started to gain traction in the UK. Now, many of the newer brewers across the North cite the craft beer scene in the US as direct inspiration for what they're trying to do. Stuart Ross is the head brewer of Magic Rock, one of the pioneers of craft beer in the UK. They've been brewing in Huddersfield since 2011. The styles of the beers we were producing were kind of an American style, pale ales and IPAs as well anyway, and, and the sort of the way that we worked and wanted to operate the brewery was in that kind of, very much in that kind of style, rather than the very traditional uh, cask, sim- sim- more simple, simpler cask brewery in the, that already existed throughout the UK. It wasn't long before others in the industry were starting to take notice of craft beer. Johnny Hayes owns several bars across Manchester, including Common, The Beagle, The Pilcrow, and specialist craft beer bar Port Street Beer House. He founded the annual Independent Manchester Beer Convention, or IMBC, in 2012. There was a like a slightly funny transition in the in the beer industry, um, in that more modern breweries were tending to make more beer in cakes, and the only beer festivals at that point were camera beer festivals, 
who didn't accept any beers in cakes. So there was this this developing sort of gap between the really exciting beer that was being produced and the kind of the outlet for it. So you know, the, like there was tons of enormous beer festivals all over the country, but none of these new breweries had a place in there. So we kind of saw that as a bit of an opportunity to just do something kind of new and interesting, and also to to sort of break the mold of that old sort of stuffy whippets flat cap sort of beer festival impression. That's not to say that no one had been serving craft beer until recently. Christian Townsley opened one of the first craft beer bars in the UK way back in 1997, North Bar in Leeds. However, it was a completely different scene when he first started. It was nothing, absolutely nothing. So when we, when we started stocking and selling a, a range of interesting beers, it baffled people, you know, you'd have, you'd, you'd have to take people on a journey of discovery. People didn't know how to pronounce beers, they, did, they questioned it if it was cloudy, they questioned it if it came in an unusual glass. So it was really working with the customers to explain, um, explain what they were drinking and, and find out what was right for them. But there was nothing else around like it at the time. So what's changed since then to make craft beer so popular? Johnny points to some big names that got the ball rolling. I guess there's a couple of sort of seminal breweries uh, in the shape of Thornbridge and uh, Brewdog, really, who were amongst the very first new breweries to set up to specifically have that kind of craft beer ideal in, in mind. So very much influenced by the American beer scene, which by that time was very kind of long established anyway. So it was 25, 30 years old in the in the US, but never really broken through in the UK. So I guess that was maybe 2007, something like that. But they were the first wave of new craft breweries. It was only them and, and, and since then it's really, really snowballed. Since then, craft beer has rocketed in popularity. Alex of ABC reflects on how the scene has changed. I got into beer really early on, especially craft beer. Before I could legally drink, I was drinking good beer. At the time, it was sort of a kind of niche hobby, whereas craft beer over the last few years has gone from being that sort of obscure thing to almost ubiquitous. Christian of North Bar has also noticed the shift. Well, you, what you now call the craft beer scene has absolutely exploded. I mean, you have craft beer in the supermarket now. It's, it's a million miles away from where it was back then. Gareth Morgan has owned a specialist craft beer bar with his wife, Vicky, for the last five and a half years. Dead Crafty in Liverpool. The craft beer scene in the UK is, is getting a lot better. There's a lot more breweries out there now. The beer's moving on. There's a lot more people into it. A lot more home brewers are now turning into little microbreweries. And... The, the industry drives itself because people just want that next different beer. The rise and rise of craft beer is particularly impressive because it is so much more expensive than other types of beer. A CGA report showed that a pint of mainstream lager cost £3.96 on average last year. Cascale is even cheaper, costing as little as £3.33 on average, depending on the type. In comparison, a pint of craft keg costs between £4.65 and £5.16 on average, again depending on the type of beer. Individual brews often go for far more than this. I asked Stuart of Magic Rock what makes craft beer so expensive. A big factor in the UK is, uh, is the ABV. The stronger the beer is, the more alcohol duty we've got to pay on it, which then makes the beer more expensive. You've also got to use more malt to make the beer stronger, uh, more hops to keep the balance. If it's an IPA, you've got you know twice as much as you would have done in a week of beer sometimes, so that makes it a bit more expensive. Paul of Cloudwater says that the small scale of some craft brewers is a factor, as well as ingredients. 
at the scale of our production and also the type of product that we make. We make uh, beer with arguably the same quality of, of malt as a lot of the larger producers around us, uh, the, the larger sort of family traditional brewers around us. We make beer arguably the same quality of malt and, and yeast, but we use 10, 20 times the amount of hops. And that's the most expensive ingredient that we can uh, put in our, in our beer per kilo. Alex of ABC thinks that the cost is justified. The thing is, I suppose, yes, craft beer is generally on average more expensive than than the sort of mainstream brands of beer are. But, you know, there's a lot of good, good beer even available in supermarkets now that can reach a really competitive price. And also we like to think that we've got really good value for money when you're, uh, when you're buying our beer. You know, it's made with good quality ingredients. It's also made with care. And, you know, you're not paying for somebody's second home. You're usually paying for my rent. So uh, we, you know, we like to think that people are conscious about where, how, this, how their money's been spent and where the money goes, as well as the product they're drinking. As well as running North Bar, Christian and his team also began brewing their own beer in 2015, under the name North Brewing Company. What we, what we do is we, we make a product that we believe is exceptional, and some of the beers that we, that we produce are really expensive and very full-flavoured. Um, others are more modestly priced, and accessible and that's what we're trying to achieve here i don't think craft beer should be for a niche view it's brilliant to be producing um, some of our beers that are really highly acclaimed for their their qualities um but it, it shouldn't it's not a niche product i don't think i don't think food and drink should be really gareth of dead crafty believes you get what you pay for we are not a weatherspoons and all this craft beer it's all very independent it's all small breweries and it costs what it costs. You know, if we, we had 20 taps of generic lager, we would we would have lasted 10 minutes. You know, got 20 taps of the best beer you can get in this city. You know, we get special kegs just sent for us. We pay, we pay a lot of money for some of this stuff, but it's very, very niche and very exclusive to, and amazing to have these beers on. So yeah, the price always does come down to it, but if you want quality, then you pay for quality no matter what. And the figures suggest that consumers are responding to that quality. The report from CGA revealed that sales of craft beer have gone up by 78% in the last four years. In comparison, sales of mainstream lager have fallen by 12% over that time. Craft beer still only makes up 6% of total sales, but it's a figure that is increasing every year. It seems like tastes are gradually changing, but what's behind that? People want more choice these days. People are very savvy with the money and they'd rather come to a bar like ours and similar bars around the country to drink quality and not quantity. So the more quality and diverse different beers we can give them, the more they'll come to these places, the more that drives the breweries. It's just self-perpetuating and that's a, the more people want choice, the more we can offer them choice and the more the brewery and the whole industry as a whole is growing in that sense. Christian of North Bar believes it's a natural evolution. I think over time people have become a bit more educated or, or tried new things. It's just people's, people's palettes evolve and when there are new products available, some of those new products just stick with the population and become the norm. Stuart of Magic Rock thinks that the appeal of craft beer is that it's breaking the mould. There's just a growth in that. Um, people want the, um, the, either something local, something a bit more special different different flavors as well you know people just want to want to try something different more than they want to just drink the same thing all the time johnny of common and co also thinks that the craft movement has been changing people's perceptions of beer and that is the secret to its success 
I think it was breaking off the shackles of old man, boring brown beer, black hats and whippy. It's like that, that's the clever thing that craft beer has managed to do. It's managed to shake that off. So it's it's a much more kind of inclusive sort of atmosphere. You know, I, I, I think we pride ourselves at IMBC as being pretty inclusive. Well, but it's a key part of what we want to do. We want to open up beer to as many people as possible from different walks of life, male, female, young, old, you know, like, and try and have as mixed a crowd as possible. And I just don't think that was really, it was never part of the DNA of that kind of old pubs, old beer festival sort of, um, that was never part of it. So obviously, you know, you make it more inclusive, you increase the, the potential market. However, despite craft beer's rising star, Paul of Cloudwater believes it's still not being embraced by many more traditional pubs. I think that there are plenty of opportunities in traditional pub spaces to look at what those small outlets can do uh, to better serve their customer base across a whole age range. You know, are pubs looking at bringing in new beer. Um, we have great support in, in some of the traditional pubs that we work in, but there's literally thousands of pubs that are either locked into tenancy agreements, they're operated by uh, global companies like Heineken, which are, you know very much don't want to open up space for brands like ours. Or maybe they're just, you know, maybe in some cases pubs haven't necessarily felt um, able to buy a sort of premium IPA in from the likes of us, take that gamble. And I think, you know, if there's anything that we can do over time, it's to slowly test the waters and see, do some of our products fit? Can we bring a local offering in instead of a, a, a global macro lager? Is that more attractive to, to the local community? Do they feel better knowing that money is staying within their city? The increasing popularity of craft beer has been happening against a backdrop of pub closures. Figures from the ONS show that there are now around 9,940 pubs and bars across the north, a number that has been rising for the last two years, but have previously fallen dramatically. In 2010, there are 11,125 pubs and bars across the region. Johnny says that the reasons behind this are complex. The pub closures has been an ongoing trend for a long time. And a lot of that has been, you know, there's a little bit of people choosing to... to buy beer from the supermarket and drink at home. But there's also quite a lot of demographic demographic change, you know, communities have changed, you know, pubs in neighbourhoods where there used to be the right demographic for a pub. Maybe that demographic has changed and people have moved on. It's quite a nuanced story, I think, um, the whole pub closures thing. Cloudwater has had a taproom attached to their brewery since its inception. Paul believes that the inclusive nature of craft beer is part of why these kinds of drinking establishments are thriving, while other, more traditional pubs may struggle. I think when you look at the rise of people drinking at home, people want to be in a, in a comfortable, relaxed setting to consume alcohol. I think craft beer tap rooms largely achieve that for almost all of the, the sort of customer base that could walk through our doors. But you and I could certainly walk from here into a number of establishments that wouldn't make us feel comfortable, uh, whether that's because of how we dress or how we look or how old we are. And if we face those difficulties, you can bet your bottom dollar um, that there are a whole bunch of other people in this city that would feel even less welcome. 
I, I would like to imagine that craft beer spaces are probably going to offer a bit of a counterpoint to that kind of older decision of whether you go and drink in, in your local pub versus drinking at home. I think we, you know, craft beer largely achieves um, a pretty cool vibe, pretty relaxed atmosphere. And I think that that's really, you know, a big part of, of what people are choosing. Gareth says that they also see a broad mix of people in Dead Crafty don't have a target demographic at all. Uh, we do get the camera people in. Um, camera have done an amazing job in the industry to bring beer back to being really good beer. A lot of the older members of camera, they think that the craft is a fad and that it's not proper traditional cask beer. There's a lot of people forward thinking that do actually think and support. So we get a lot of the camera people in and then it is, it's people who want choice. So, you know, we could have a couple of students in, or we could have 70 to 80-year-old people in, and we've got a very good split, I'd say 60, 40 men to women as well. We've got a big women drinking scene in the city that enjoy craft beer, so, you know, that is, that's a positive, and obviously Vicky is a woman and she owns the bar, so. ABC also serves its beer from a taproom attached to the brewery. Alex believes that what was once a male-dominated scene is becoming more welcoming to women. Maybe some of the spaces where craft beer was sold and um, some very beer heavy bars might not have been places where women all felt comfortable in the past. And I think that that certainly isn't the case anymore. Yeah, I think we see, see a really even gender split in our tap room. I think that a lot of beer places aren't, don't feel like, you know, old men boozers where, they, where they're going to be, you know, women are going to be stared at, people are going to feel safe. I think, I think the um, beer bars are definitely making the same, same sort of changes that society are making in terms of making sure that their places are inclusive for all kinds of people. It's not just the consumption of beer that is seeing this change. While there are no official figures available, it's generally accepted that more and more women are becoming involved in brewing, particularly in the craft beer scene. However, it's perhaps telling that the only people we were able to speak to for this podcast were men. Alex says that there is still a long way to go in terms of diversity. It was very much a an industry filled with only white faces, with only male faces. Crap is still very much has a an issue with inclusivity, even though it's really trying its best to uh, to change that. There's there is definitely a huge amount more women in, uh, working in beer than there used to be, but it still needs to be less change. There's not a lot of people of colour, not a lot of people from BME backgrounds. But we've still got a long way to go. You, you find a lot of women in beer aren't always working in the most senior positions. And I don't know if that's a symptom of the fact that this sort of change for inclusiveness has only happened over maybe the last five or six years. But we, you also see some of, some of the best brewers in the world are women. But we've still got a long way to go for the brewing industry to truly represent the, uh, the community and, and the people that it feeds. Part of the challenge is breaking stereotypes around beer, but Gareth of Dead Crafty believes they are gradually changing people's minds. You get that stereotype of, you know, the guy comes in with his partner and he'll go to the bar and go, oh, do you have wine? It's like, no, we don't serve wine. Or we'll have a gin then, we don't serve gin. We are purely the Dead Crafty beer company. We sell beer. And it's like, well, what will the women drink? It's like, well, that woman here owns the place and the four women are sitting at the bar. One of them's drinking an imperial stout, one of them's drinking a pale ale, one of them's drinking a sour and one of them's drinking whatever, you know what I mean? And then it's just catching them people off guard to get them to taste some different beers, different styles. I mean, we've got 20 taps, so we've got everything from a Pilsner all the way to imperial stouts and everything in the middle. So you've got sours, you've got saisons, you've got wheat beers, you've got IPAs and things. So, that, so we believe that there's a beer out there for everyone. And if people are prepared to try, 
we're, we're prepared to give them some tasters and convert them into good beer. And it's not just women that might need persuading. Many male drinkers are happy to stick to what they know, but Stuart of Magic Rock believes anyone can be converted. People who aren't necessarily used to the craft beer might come in. We do get quite a few drinkers who just come in and they literally just want a pint of lager. They've come down to see what the place is all about. They like the look of the building. And, um, you know, there might be might be a pint of lager and a glass of wine. We, you know, we sell wine so or a can of cider. But eventually, you know, they will try something else and they're always encouraged to try something else. And I think those drinkers, the they'll move on to the next level from the lager being, you know, one of the slightly more hoppy um, American hot pale ales. And then, you know, eventually their tastes might might develop as, as I think mine did back in the day. Stuart thinks that these beers that are a step up from lager act as a gateway to craft beer and are a big part of why craft is becoming so popular. Although they're more, maybe more, a little bit more run-of-the-mill beers and compared to um, some of the other craft brewers, the core range pale ales are just picking off um, you know the the people in the bar who would, would normally just choose whichever lagers on uh, and ask for you know literally walk in and ask for a pint of lager without even specifying a brand we're uh, we're picking away at those people and the rising popularity of craft beer shows no sign of slowing down christian of north bar believes that the trend is going to continue following the course set out by the american craft beer scene if you look at the statistics american craft beer has has gone up to something like depending on how you interpret the statistics, but it's here 25% of beer drunk in the US is craft beer. And in the UK, it might be about seven or eight. It's following the trajectory. About, about three years ago, it was about 3% of beer drunk in the UK. Um, I think it will continue to grow, and we, we really want to be a part of that. Alex of ABC also thinks that the trend is going to continue. We've seen alcohol sales in this country drop over the last 10 years, but the percentage of the market um, of craft beer has grown and grown and grown year on year. Um, I think it's very difficult for people to go back to drinking, you know, industrial soulless lager. I think people are also very enamoured by the fact that a lot of these small breweries are independently owned. You know, they think about the environment, they think about ethics, they think about inclusion and community. Um, I don't think that people are going to slowly be switched off by that. But the rising popularity of craft beer has also thrown up some challenges for the industry. Johnny of Common & Co believes the saturation of the market has led to increasing competition amongst brewers. The game has definitely changed, for sure. You go into any craft beer bottle shop and it is a riot of colour and different brands and stuff. And, you, and you know, you, they're, they're, they're entering into the same sort of battleground as any other soft drink or any other brand that's going to be stacked on a shelf alongside any others. You know, you've got to be a social media expert, you've got to be a branding expert, you've got to be technical expert you've got to you know you've got to know about making deals purchasing packaging distribution it's 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 a whole package now that you have to be a sort of multidisciplinary sort of entrepreneur now as a as a a brewer you can't just get away with oh we just make good beer yeah and i I just don't think you can get away as easily as as you maybe used to be able to on on the quality of your product alone It's something that Alex has seen at ABC, but he stresses that quality is still really important. It's interesting because I think maybe when we started up as well, there was a huge, huge explosion in small breweries opening up. There used to be a brewery opening up every week. And you're right, if you've got that many people 
vying for the same same taps and the, the, the amount of free taps and, and shelf space has definitely grown. But if you're still vying for those same spaces, you must have something that stands out. Uh, luckily enough, we've worked with the same local illustrator, Nick Hamilton, since day one. Um, his branding is really important to what we do and we'll always work with him. But, but the thing is with, with, with branding is that you both, both the quality of the beer and the quality of the branding have to exist in one. Um, there's plenty of times where breweries have incredible branding and really shaky beer. You'll buy something once because it looks good. Uh, you won't buy something twice if it doesn't taste good. As craft beer continues to eat into the overall market share of the industry, North Bar's Christian says bigger players have also started to sit up and take notice. The big breweries cash in on it. So the big breweries will they'll create a craft beer arm and they'll dress a beer up to look like craft beer, in inverted commas. Um, they'll make it look a bit hipster. They make it look the design. They try, they try to be flavour forward. They try to make the design a bit more stylish. Don't think people are that easily fooled because actually when you take when you get hold of that beer, they're not as flavour forward as as you would expect from a truly independent craft brewery. Paul at Cloudwater also thinks discerning consumers are not going to be easily duped. If you care about buying a you know a beer that's made with with a certain ethos, you'll seek that out. And if you and if it's just liquid to you and you just want some alcohol, I mean there's that readily available too. <laughs> However, he is concerned that as bigger businesses become involved in craft beer, some of the original spirit of the movement is being lost. We are seeing different types of businesses enter the craft beer space. So I think very much it very much was the case ten years ago that you would find, I think, a sort of narrower audience, more enthusiast-driven, uh, probably sort of the type of person that was already into beer um, for some time. And I think that I've certainly seen business folk come into craft beer and operate within the space very much with the intention of setting a business up, growing it, and then selling it. Um, and that's something that wasn't, it never felt like a feature of craft beer in its inception. And I'm obviously not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think, I think craft beer as, as a sort of movement towards higher quality is a movement towards a more direct relationship between producer and consumer. It's not necessarily always well supported by those typical capitalist gains of, uh, you know, start a company, grow it quick, and then flog it to the highest bidder. So the scene is suffering some change. Maybe some of the early values that, that some folk stood on uh, when they first set up their business change because they decide they want different things and opportunities are different. Johnny has also noticed this change, but he views it as a natural part of the growing relevance of craft beer. It has definitely changed, but I don't think, I think big breweries uh, are taking an interest purely because of what I mentioned before, because there's more of their, their drinkers, their traditional mainstream drinkers, like becoming more and more interested in this, in this kind of more flavorful craft beer product. There's people that have sort of grown their breweries and sold them to, to big breweries, big international breweries. Um, and it, it, it's kind of like a, an entire sector of the market that's grown out of nothing, really. Magic Rock is just one such brewery, having sold the business to the global beverage and food company Lion Australia in 2019. I asked Stuart what was behind the move. In the long-term future of the company, the business, we, uh, we wanted to expand the business, we wanted to grow the, the company, and um, we'd essentially seen some limitations in our own abilities, really, to... Um, to 
to make that happen and um, when Lion came along with a with a nice offer um, and a good proposition for for the growth of the business, we um, we thought it was the right time to take it. They've got a huge network of uh, support. They're they're an enormous company. They've got loads of um, knowledge and background and, and and procedures and things like that that we we can tap into and use use those resources to um, further the business in a way that we couldn't and uh, before and and a more secure financial future as well. The sale of Magic Rock was a controversial one within the industry, with some saying they no longer felt the brewery was subscribing to the craft beer ethos. It's not surprising, considering that craft beer is traditionally made by independent brewers in small batches. In fact, in a 2019 survey, the Society of Independent Brewers found that just 2% of UK adults think craft beer can be made by a multinational global brewer. I put those concerns to Stuart. I could say I could definitely see those concerns, and the the history of brewery buyouts in the UK isn't isn't that great. Really, you look at you, could, you could go back far enough. You look at breweries like Tetley's buying out. Um, brewing company had a lot of pubs in Sheffield. They bought out, and eventually they just start brewing the beer at their plant. Close the brewery down, rebadge all the pubs, and it all kind of happens like that. But I think in the in the sort of more modern craft brewing kind of sector, the bigger breweries that are buying the smaller breweries are real have realised that they need to actually buy them and keep them. You know, running as they were, or at least the ethos of that company, keep the branding the same, keep the beers as good, or you know, uh, being made the same as they were in the past. Uh, otherwise, they're just going to buy something and ruin it. And I think, they've, I think the bigger breweries are realising that now. So a lot of the more recent buyouts that I've seen, there's not a lot of changed in the companies. The beers are still pretty much the same, and it's the same for us. Stuart assured me that both the brewery and the taproom, which has been part of the site since 2015, would still be based in Huddersfield. In fact, creating a space for the local community was always part of the plan, and he says that hasn't changed. We'd been into, um, to the States a couple of times for sort of research, research trips and um, festivals and things like that, and we, we just loved the atmosphere in the taprooms, the sort of the local community spirit and uh, you know that, that kind of that kind of image and, and the feel of the tap rooms in America and we wanted to bring that to uh, back to the UK. We've we've got a strong local crowd. You know, even when the weather's pretty bad like it is today with the rain, um, with the, you know tonight or was it Tuesday? Yeah, come come five o'clock, six o'clock, there'll there'll be a decent little crowd in it. I mean, after work beers. The community aspect of beer was also hugely important to Paul when setting up Cloudwater. Beer spaces were, I think, arguably more attractive to me and, and the community that built up in, in beer spaces were arguably more attractive to me than the actual liquid itself. I love beer and I have done for, for a long, long time, but it was more that sense of community that I felt in the early 2000s um, around beer spaces, craft beer spaces in this country. That's what really drew me in. And so I think, you know, what I wanted to try and achieve with Cloudwater was to make a brewery that would create that sort of space itself or create those sorts of occasions. Community is a big part of craft beer more generally. And as Christian of North Bar explains, that can mean many different things. I think community means lots of different things. It can be, it can be the hospitality industry. It can be your local community where where the bars reside, um, the people around it. It can be the brewing community, which is worldwide, and and connecting with our community, connecting with people, 
is absolutely key to everything that we do. Gareth of Dead Crafty also highlighted the camaraderie within the craft beer scene. The industry helps each other. We all support each other and trade brings trade. A lot of people say, oh, well, there's another one opening. You're worried. I'm like, no, it's brilliant. There's another 15 taps of amazing craft beer in our city now. So it's making the whole city even more of a destination for craft beer drinkers. Christian also believes that the rising craft beer brewers and bars in the city is helping to turn it into a destination. I think the, the beer community in Leeds has really helped put Leeds on the map. There's so much going on there. There are so many great bars, there are great breweries, and it's that coupled with a number of really good events like Leeds International Beer Festival, Hop City. Um, it's created a, a draw to Leeds for craft beer. Um, I, don't mean, I don't mean to sound conceited. I'm really proud of the fact that North Bar has been a big part of that over the years. Johnny has seen the same with breweries in Manchester and with the IMBC Festival. They're definitely adding something to the city, for sure. You know, they're adding... They're becoming tourist destinations, some of them. I mean, IMBC, obviously, you know, take a little bit of credit. I mean, we have 10,000 people come to IMBC, there or thereabouts, over the course of the weekend. And, you know, that's pulling people from all over the country, that's pulling people internationally into Manchester, into and experiencing the beer scene and beer culture in Manchester, which I think is something that's... You know, it's, it's to be really celebrated, I think. You know, it's this sort of transmission of the idea of Manchester and Manchester as a, as a destination. We spoke to Paul at Cloudwater the day before their second annual Friends and Family and Beer Festival, a not-for-profit event raising money for local charities. Like Johnny, he's proud of the fact that they're bringing people to the city. You know, we're bringing thousands of people into the city centre this weekend and they'll all get to experience Manchester for some, maybe for the first time, it should be another way in which we can we can continue to shine light on not just you know obviously not just what we're doing, but what the city as a whole is doing, and the way that that the way that that food and drink scene is very sort of self-supporting. Uh, there's some really cool innovation happening in Manchester in you know combining different types of drinking establishments and food establishments, some great restaurants opening up. And it's a real buzz to be able to draw people into the city that are very much coming for high quality food and drink experiences and say, hey, check out what Manchester's got to offer. Thank you for listening to another episode of The North in Numbers with me, Annie Goak. And a massive thank you to all my guests for joining me and for all the free beer. This is the last episode of the series, but we'll be back this summer with more stats-based stories. See you then. The North in Numbers is an Audible production.